Hey there, Shopamaniacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave, wearing my forbidden Wix headphones, Rupert, and I feel like I'm in a fishbowl because there's noise cancellation or something going on. And with me is Chris Coyer. Hey, Chris. Hey, Dave. What's going on? How do I, how do, on my forbidden headphones, what do I do to turn off noise cancellation? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's probably right next to the button that stops it transmitting all information to. I think Wix I headquarters I turned it to five, so there. That's as good as I can do. Anyway, I'm getting the sweats. I feel like I'm underwater. Let's go, Chris. Who's in this studio today? Well, this is a good one. We, you know, uh, uh, I'm going to disclaimer right up front. Netlify has been a sponsor of us for a long time, and we really appreciate that. And maybe never in the history of time have we let a sponsor tell us who comes on the show. So this is not about that. It's just that we happen to like these two fellas who happen to work at Netlify, and we think Netlify is an important industry thing, and it's worth talking about because it gives us an opportunity to talk about Jamstack architecture and all new things. So we have two fellas here from Netlify on, Mr. Jason Langstorff. How are you doing, Jason? Doing well. Happy to be here. Yeah. And Phil Hawksworth. Hey, Phil. Hey. Hello, hello. Hey. Really appreciate you being here. Yeah, this is cool. There's, there's, there's you know, Jamstack is kind of endlessly interesting to talk about. We, it ends up coming up in conversations just anyway. But it also evolves over time, right? New things are possible and, and you know, feature releases come along and people think about it in different ways over time. And some of that stuff is happening now. As a matter of fact, I just watched Matt's, and by Matt, I mean Matt Bielman's, React Conf Talk. I don't know how long ago that was now. A couple months ago, maybe at least. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And he just did a 10 minute blaster about, and he started with React because it's React Conf. So that was tasteful of him. Good job, Matt. And he <laughs> talked about how it was simple <laughs> at first. React is bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did you watch it? Yeah. Launched yeah, into yeah, 10 minutes on PHP instead. Kind of, but it was, <laughs> I don't know. It was measured, I thought. But but he did say that, you know, it solved all these immediate problems. And I've, I've felt that. And my, it was like, now, now we don't have to, like, have JavaScript over here in room nine that has a query selector on it for some template over here in room three. And those two things are not particularly, you know, the I used to have bugs like that all the time. And React's like, what if we just put an on-click handler right on this freaking div? You know, don't put them on divs. That's bad advice. But you know what I mean. Like, you couple the idea of, of idea. It just solved a bunch of problems that we had at the time in development, and people still have. And it kind of changed the paradigm of how you think about building front ends with components and how you architect things and whatnot. And then and then it's a, around a long time. Tons of people use it. And I think the React team is like, what if we don't just solve those problems, but solve like 50 other problems too? Because we're, we're React and we're smart and we're going to do that. And I think it keeps people excited about it and maybe keeps them around. I don't know the detail. I think there's probably some social dynamics at play of what, of, of how React thinks about things. But it's a lot different today than react was on day one it's trying to solve more problems for you and i'm just regurgitating what matt said because in that talk he said you know react got old it got more complicated and look at that that's a bummer isn't it (laughs) so that's (laughs) the react and then but made that same pointed the finger then at himself and said jamstack is like that too it started so simple Let's just throw some static files on a thing. And then if you needed to do more, just ask JavaScript to do it. Ta-da, Jamstack, you know? And then but along comes like, but what if we could do 
lots more stuff for you. Just tons of more stuff. Let's solve every use case under the sun and provide tools for that. That same kind of thing can happen. Now Jamstack is not simple no more. (laughs) It's got all this stuff. Uh, But is that true? Is that fair? I don't know. Let's get into that. Maybe we'll start with the big announcement because at the end of that very video, it was like, okay, Netlify is going to do this thing that uh, is going to help sites with their build times. It's going to be more predictable, the sites and stuff. And the the term that was coined is what, let me make sure I get it right. Jason, what's the term? DPR? DPR, distributed persistent rendering. Okay. Should we just do it? Are you guys excited about this? Is this like big news at Netlify headquarters? Yeah, I, I absolutely think it is. Um, you know, so I guess maybe to to set a little context on what it is, we we have been looking at like what's good about the Jamstack and what's really challenging is you start to use it for more and more complex projects. And and what's good about the Jamstack is this predictable mental model. You've got templates and data and you have a build step and then you get a, a static asset at the end that you can put in a folder and you put that folder on a CDN and things just work. You know that no matter how many yeah. times you hit it, how busy the site gets, you're always going to get that that same result. It's funny. It's one of those true things, but also weird. It's not like I'm like, you know what I like about Jamstack? The predictable mental model. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it turns out you're kind of right. You know, maybe that is subconsciously what I like about it, you know? It's like the code that runs on my machine that work quote unquote works on my machine is like 1% different than the code that goes out into the cloud or the CPU. Yeah. So, yeah. And and you're eliminating all of these, these mental hurdles that you have to jump through to keep how the thing works in mind. Right. Like I, I made this, this crack very kind of oversimplified things and said, if you need a whiteboard to describe your web architecture, it's too complicated. Um, and, and I said that in jest, like anything will get complicated as it grows. But I, I do think that there's a, n- a nugget of truth in there that when you start deploying a front end, but that front end needs a node server because you've got like a protected token. But then because you've got a node server, you have to get a Docker container. And to make sure that Docker container doesn't fall over when you hit the front page of Reddit, you have to get a Kubernetes cluster. And, you know, like all these things start to happen where suddenly you are you're not a front end developer anymore. I mean, Chris, you've got a whole article about this, about how how deep the front end has gotten in terms of required skill sets to be a front end developer. Um, I didn't even use the word Kubernetes in it, but (laughs) there's a Kubernetes. Kubernetes. Yeah, I think. (laughs) Um, But, but so what to, to get back to the original question about, about DPR, um, when we were looking at one of the challenges, as you try to use this Jamstack model, if you're trying to build, thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of pages, your build times scale proportionally. You know, you you have this kind of temporal restriction on how much work you can do in a build step in a compressed amount of time. So even if you've never measured it, you might just assume that you might be like, I am not even going to think about Jamstack because I have 120,000 pages. Get out of here. I'm not even going to measure it. I know it's going to suck. Do you find that? Do you find when you talk to customers, they're like, this is just not for me. I mean, I guess they're not your customers yet. So how do you know? Yeah, you I, I think one of the biggest things that we see people pushing back on with the Jamstack is this idea that that it's only for small sites. It's only for static sites. And, and you know, that's not true. Like the the Peloton app runs on Jamstack. The, the Netlify app, like app.netlify.com is a Jamstack app. 
So you can run really complex, very personalized experiences through this Jamstack architecture. Um, but as you start thinking about big experiences, like how could you run Wikipedia on the Jamstack? And the answer before this, this DPR is you, you probably couldn't. It would take you hours to build it. And it changes so frequently that there's like no way that it would reasonably be, be doable. Yeah, or you'd just make a SPA and just assume that you're going to ask for content after render. You wouldn't even bother. You wouldn't even right. consider pre-rendering, right? Yeah. And so what DPR does is it allows you to take some of that pre-rendering and make it async. So you still have a build step. You're still taking your template and your data, you're rendering it to an asset, and then you're moving that to the CDN. Um, but what we've done with, with this model of DPR is we're, we're proposing that you can take the most important content and you render it in your build step like always, but then you leave other content to be rendered on demand in a serverless function. So it's still a build step. It's still, you know, the like Eleventy's implemented this now where you're calling the Eleventy build function. You're just calling it for one page instead of a folder full of pages. Yeah. And so you have result, a Lambda sitting in the sky with that runs Eleventy. Exactly. Which is, happens to be a nice fit because Lambda's support Node really well and Eleventy's mm-hmm. written in Node and the stars just kind of aligned on that one. But Lambda's get more and more capable, right? You can run Go in a Lambda. So theoretically, you can you run go. Go, you can run Ruby, you can run yeah. and now not you can't run all of those on Netlify, but like lambdas in general support a pretty broad uh broad yeah. set of languages. And so we we expect that's going to expand and so you have this URL that comes in, some kind of knowledge whether this page has been rendered or not. Mm-hmm. I don't know, as a KV store or something. I don't know how it would know. It checks a cache. So what we're what we're doing right now is we yeah, we put it in the the edge node. Um, but as it, as it, uh, as it matures, the goal is that, you know, once it renders once, we're going to move it right back to the origin. And as far as the, like the Netlify CDN is concerned, that page that got rendered by the, we're calling them on-demand builders that use distributed persistent rendering. Yeah. Um, that result after it renders the first time, is just going to move back to the origin and be part of the original build. So you still get these benefits of the Jamstack right. where it's like, it's atomic, it's immutable, you hit the same result or you hit the same URL, you get the same result every time predictably. If you need to roll right. it back, you can and you'll you'll get those results. Um, so you've, you've got all those same guarantees and, and that simplified mental model of there's a build step, there's an output and it goes to a CDN and that's that's that. And you're just you pay this little cost, little one person pays this cost. The very first person that hits that page, 11 is going to spin up and be like, I'm going to produce one page and put it. In, on the network or whatever. And that's yes. it. And probably that's pretty fast because lambdas are pretty fast and and running a build for one page is pretty fast and all that. So it's just kind of trustable in that way. We've been paying the first user cost for a long time, you know? Yeah. And you can even take it a step further. And, you know, like after your deploy runs, you you still know what your static pages are. So you can just make a big list of those and call all of those functions in parallel and build all the rest of your pages asynchronously right after the deployment. So oh, you can really make it so that somebody <laughs> it's never just pays so that, that your cost. build is faster than. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's tricky. I was going to ask about that because that seems like like if you're going to do that, then why don't you just put them in your build? But the point is that your builds go out faster than. Yeah. So we're trying to and, and it's not always that like sometimes you're going to have like if you don't mm. want to burn the electricity to build a bunch of pages that only get visited once or twice a month. Just wait until somebody requests them. Um, but if you if you have content that's like 
somewhat popular, but it's not your most popular content. Um, and you don't want to have to wait 25 minutes for a build because you've got 15,000 pages or something. You can just build the top 200 site pages that get 80% of your traffic and let the rest of them build asynchronously. So there's still, unless somebody hits immediately after a deploy, they'll see that instant, that instant response, but your build, it goes out in 30 seconds now instead of 15 minutes. This episode is brought to you by Dexsecure, a company that saves developers time by automating mundane tasks that you all hate to do, but have to do. Images, JavaScript, CSS, HTML, fonts, and third-party assets. Dexsecure does the optimization with just one line of code, and you can focus on what you love doing, building new and exciting websites. And it's super easy to implement, just one line of code needed for integration, or they've got a plugin if you're using WordPress. No matter the device or browser type, Dexsecure will always have the best version of your website. You can visit dexsecure.com slash shoptalkpodcast. That's D-E-X-E-C-U-R-E dot com slash shoptalkpodcast for one month free when you sign up for any basic or pro plan or try it out for free with their free account. Our thanks to Dexsecure for sponsoring this episode of Shop Talk Show. Are you trying to build this as like least proprietarily as possible? Like, because it doesn't it seem like you, you have to be like, okay, well, your SSG then needs to be able to be configured that says build these pages, but don't build these other ones. And it needs to be able to like take some other config that's like, please, I don't know, run in a Lambda and be, have some kind of API that says build this one page. I mean, like how much manipulation to the SSG is required, you know? Not a lot because the the most SSGs, when you look at their config, you're you're getting a um, a config file that's taking in a page path and it's feeding it in a template and some data. And so if you feed it, you know, one page worth of data instead of all of your pages worth of data, it, the API doesn't need to change very much. Um, yeah, right. and so there's there's a possibility. But you're like, don't make a whole dist folder with all my assets in it and crap. Like, just give me the h the built HTML file. Yeah, right. So there's there's a little bit of of changing, but even without it, you know, you can you can run it and then you can reach into the dist folder and grab those assets and throw them out. Um, so there's there are ways to to kind of solve that, but it's it's very much like depending on the SSG. So like for 11D, it was pretty straightforward because 11D doesn't, it, it intentionally doesn't do a lot to, to keep the mental model straightforward for people. For something that's very React heavy, there's a little more with like shared bundles and stuff that we'd have to figure out to, to make sure that that works. But we're working with, with library authors like that. Like we, we um, are sponsoring Nuxt to help them with the, the next version of, of Nuxt to try to make this something that's, that's native to the platform. And, Mm-hmm. And something that that just works, and you know we're experimenting with other platforms as well. We've got it running for Next.js. That'll be cool to see because it's like you got Zach in house, so like that's not a huge surprise that you got yeah. Eleven D out the door. Not to mention it's kind of philosophically kind of connected with ideas like this for sure. The, the nice thing is as well that um, that, that you um, that although yeah you can start adding it to all these different SSGs, the intention is that we kind of provide these primitives so that. You can add it with anything. So the first experiments I was doing, you know, I mean, I'm using 11T for pretty much everything because, you know, otherwise Zach hunts me down. But, <laughs> um, you know, I was using that at the, in the build, but then adding routes that would be doing things that were using on-demand builders 
But I wasn't using 11T for that. It was like an additive approach. I just have a bunch of routes that say, okay, we'll mash up a template with some data. I, will, I could already do that in a serverless function, but now I add this wrapper to it that says, and also persist it in in the build forever. It actually wasn't, it had no notion of what the static site generator was that I was using in the first place. I just added another thing to it. So you could effectively add it to anything if you like. The nice thing really would be for static site generators to to add this as a little utility. So you have one completely unified workflow and all sure. the rest of it. But mm-hmm. strictly speaking, you could add a little dusting of this to to anything and still be able to get that same result. So that, that's been kind of fun to explore, if I'm honest. It's quite nice. Does it, does it only work with it, like HTML or, uh, you know, I'm thinking of the ever popular uh Twitter preview card images and stuff like that. Like, could we, I generate those on demand? Mm-hmm. Sure, any 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 asset you like. So, I think I think actually Zach's first um, experiments with this were using it to to generate um, images. He was, I think, on the eleven T site. He's got like a ton of thumbnail images of previews of different sites in like a gallery, and he was generating those once rather than having those in a build step. Of course, that's quite an expensive thing to have during a build. It's quite computationally kind of heavy, so he just defers that until the first time they're requested, and then they persist uh, forever. So you know, he was he was doing that with assets, but you could yeah, you could generate anything you wanted really, any any resource that you then want to serve at some point. Is there a, this may be unavoidable, I don't know, or maybe you have an awesome solution for it. Truly don't know here. You have that moment where you're like, oh, I forgot to put a period at the end of a sentence in one blog post. Hey, dude, I'm right here. You don't need to send me <laughs> my own podcast. <laughs> ouch, ouch. But does does that wipe the whole cache? Just totally every everything wipes it all. Right now, yes. Um yeah. We're we're trying to figure out how to make that work in a way that doesn't reintroduce a lot of the the issues of of multi layered cache management. Because um, so a, a big caveat that we should put on this is this is nothing new. You know, if you've if you've ever used WordPress with a varnish cache, that's effectively what DPR is. What we're trying to do is like learn from models that work really well and bring them forward in a way that doesn't require anything to configure, doesn't require complex cache invalidation strategies doesn't require you to think about your cache as like multiple layers of of like assets yeah. versus api versus rendered you know page results um so one of the ideas that we're kicking around is this idea of being able to invalidate uh just the result of of your distributed distributed percent rendering and like copy the cache forward so you get a new atomic deploy without having to rebuild the whole site if none of your code assets changed um and there's discussion of like, how could we support that for, you know, maybe a, a subset of routes or, or something like that. But the, mm-hmm. the more fine grain those controls become, the more complicated it is to manage and the more likely it is to become kind of a foot gun. And the reason that we're really hesitant about that is like when I worked at IBM, we had this brilliant strategy around caching for Akamai and, and we were caching our assets, our images one way, and we had our API request cached another way with Redis in between, and we had our static assets and then the things that were rendered by Node, and each of those had a caching layer. And somebody very smart had figured out how to manage all of those caches, and none of the rest of us could figure it out, so we all just appended a randomly generated number to the end of every URL to guaranteed not cache. Mm. And as you can imagine, this was unbelievably expensive for IBM. 
So what we're trying to avoid is this thing where the cash gets complicated enough that people can build strategies that people can't understand. Um, because that's a core tenet of the Jamstack is that you can understand what's happening without having to diagram it or, or do a deep dive. Yeah. Yeah. God, I can relate to that. I'll tell you what, you know, even on, even on shop talk show, which is not Jamstack at the moment, you know, I have to, uh, we what if I change CSS, there's just nothing, there's a bunch of caching involved because of course there is, you know, like Cloudflare sits in front of it. It's on some WordPress host that does its own caching and or whatever. I could write some code that's just like, oh, the CSS file changed, so please change the HTML template to update a query string of the CSS so it breaks that cache. I just never did because it's just not that, it's not such a daily activity for me that I'm like, I'll just manually change the query string. Who cares, you know? (laughs) But uh, it's nice to know that on Netlify, you never have to worry about that. Like when you're on the, you're making your little baby site, you just don't even care. You don't even write that line of code. Mm-hmm. which I've always appreciated. That's such a nice little touch, you know? Yeah, there's there's so many ways to solve some of these these problems. You know, yeah, you can solve all of these things with crafty cache management and knowing what you're going to, you know, updating different things at different times. The number, of, the number of projects I've worked on over my career where it should have been fine, but something wasn't quite right somewhere in the logic of what was in the cache and what wasn't, because it's really difficult to get that stuff completely right across a complex project. So I'm happy to abdicate responsibility for that and say you know what we just got a simplified mental model where when you do a deploy we update the cache and it's just mm-hmm. we don't have to think about any kind of granular right. control over that it's just just do it and i think the the intent was always to make deploying so mundane and so trivial that you're happy to do it time and time again and it's effectively free free to do so um but then that starts just getting eroded when sites get very, very large, like we're talking about. It becomes not not trivial because of because of time. Although, interestingly, you know, the, Chris, when you were at the beginning, you're talking about well, what what do clients expect from that? And you know, the first conversations I ever had with clients about building things statically uh, rather than using something dynamic, those were big enterprise clients, and so their deploy times are usually three weeks. Yeah, <laughs> it's like mm. we'll have a two week code freeze and then a one week deploy process. So the idea of a build running for an hour that would have seemed like a luxury then. Thankfully, our, I think our parameters have changed a little bit. I think what we expect as developers is starting to change a little bit, but some people are still in that scenario. So um, the faster we can get to the point that deploys just feel so trivial that you don't even need to think about it. It's just another another push, the, the better, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I wonder what the what are the numbers? Like, what are you guys feeling? You know, you'd like a two minutes? That would be pretty sweet, wouldn't it? I would think like your basic... Your basic DaveRupert.com is looking at it. Two minutes. Well, that's, that's a right? mammoth site, though, isn't it? I mean, that's. <laughs> well, I mean, I, uh, you say enterprise. I mean, that's what we're dealing with there. <laughs> there's also some limits to, like, let's say Dave wrote a bunch of Cypress tests. Those things just kind of got to run in real time. So you're just going to like mm-hmm. that, that, that kind of stuff. The more testing you have, there's kind of limits that, like, Netlify can't do anything about that. You know, those right. tests just run, you know? But but they, you can uh, just how fast the build goes and and how much it builds and all that the things that you can control are coming down you know I'd love to see a zero minutes like yeah I, I think we'll get close to that in time don't you think just like a press a button eh, it's done like there's a lot of tools that are coming out that are going to make this easier like ES build and Vite and uh, a lot of the Rust tooling and like SWC that's coming out is 
unbelievably fast at building sites. You know, you, we, uh, I, I did a, a show on, um, with Sunil Pai where we, we refactored create react app to use Vite. And the, the compile time for like a fresh install of create react app was nine or 10 seconds or something using the, the default setup. When we switched it over to Vite, it was under a second. And it just, it just like, it was so fast that we thought it was broken. Right. So I think that's ES build under the hood. Yeah. Vite is like a, an extra layer of stuff on top of ES build. Um, and so I think what, what my hope is, is that DPR becomes a, it's like the tool you reach for after you've got very complex use cases, because I want to see the, the building tooling all kind of keep growing the way that it is. You know, I'm, I'm really excited to see all this new competition for Webpack with, with, you know, ES build and SWC and, and the, the rust ecosystem exploding and how fast all that stuff is because it really is unlocking like a neck, like a leap forward. Um, and the, we'll see the new SSGs on it too, you know, yes, because mm-hmm. node has limits to how fast it can rock too, you know, and any mm-hmm. benchmarks you see it, Hugo tends to win and it tends to be the only one and go. Yeah. I think that might get more and more exciting for other SSGs to be like, fine, I'll switch to go or rise just speedy too. Right. Um, yeah, I'm using, uh, I'm using an SSG called toast. It's built yeah. by Chris Biscardi that, uh, it runs on rust and that one bundles in, I, I uh, learned with Jason.dev has about 200 episodes on it now. So I'm building mm-hmm. all those pages with some asset management and stuff that site bundles in like seven seconds now um, because oh. of just how fast rust is. And it, it, again, it's just like the tooling is making massive leaps forward and, and using ES modules instead of common JS enables some really massive leaps forward. So there's some, some big stuff I think coming that's going to make builds faster in general and, and DPR is a way for us to handle user generated content or really truly massive sites. But my hope is that the, where you start to need it for a build, I want that number to be really, really high. And I think that the, the current direction of tooling is going to get us there. Mm. You mentioned deep, um, you mentioned user generated content as well there. And that's the other use case that is kind of a perfect fit for DPR. I mean, I I went through some some shenanigans to try and figure out how can we make Jamstack really work well for user generated content because that's not it doesn't feel like a natural fit, right? Where someone, like Twitter so, or forums, exactly. Or yeah. So or, yeah. yeah, right. So I I made this little toy a while ago that I wrote up on CSS tricks and it was this site called V Lolly so that you could make a lollipop and send it to someone. The, the biggest pushback I got was the word lollipop, um, <laughs> popsicle. I should have branded it, but, you know, live and learn. They're um, different things, Phil. I know. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I felt like an idiot. But, you know, the, the point was that you'd have Dude, a full... That's just localization 101. I well, well the, the, I mean, I'll pretend it was a mistake, uh, because, but really it was just an opportunity for me to demonstrate localization as well. But at that point, you know, my, my build doubled because I had all of the content that people had submitted for all of these different lollipop pages, which then I also generated with the branding of Popsicle instead of lolly on it. So I could keep my American friends happy. Um, but the, the point was that there was a form on the, on the page that you'd submit, submit the data. It would go to a database that would trigger a rebuild. It would generate all of the pages, including the one that you just, you just had. And then while that build was happening, if someone went to the URL of the new page, that would be delivered by a serverless function. And so with DPR, I can do exactly the same thing, but I'll never need to trigger a new build because the serverless function that would return that view also persists that view into the build. So just with one step, that just 
that just handles all of the the user generated content so it can really simplify that model as well and it's it would save me quite a lot of hassle uh, before um but uh, but that's fine i'll embrace it now nice This episode is brought to you by Treehouse. Treehouse is the best place for people of all backgrounds and skill levels to learn to code or learn a new programming language. Their on-demand, expert-led content library includes thousands of hours of video courses, workshops, practice sessions, and so much more. The Treehouse Tech Degree is a bootcamp tier program for a fraction of the cost of traditional bootcamps with no pay-us-back-later income share agreements. And they've got gamified learning with quizzes, code challenges, and workspaces. Plus, they offer guided learning tracks on a number of topics like Python, JavaScript, computer science, UX design, and more that allow you to create a custom curated curriculum. Nearly 1 million students have transformed their life with Treehouse, and every Treehouse subscription comes with a seven-day free trial. Start yours today. Our thanks to Treehouse for sponsoring this episode of Shop Duck Show. That's cool. I, I feel like just yesterday over in the shop talk show d- 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 discord, somebody was kind of asking, like they're trying to do a hook, right? They, they like hit uh like update post on their WordPress. They want to do a hook to hit redeploy the Netlify build or trigger another build. Um, this would kind of solve that. I mean, I don't know, maybe not. I like, how would, how would you negotiate? Like, Oh, my WordPress changed. So now my post on Netlify, my static post needs to update. Is there hooks, man. a hooks. tool to kind of trigger that? Or I, I think I'd still be doing the same thing. I think I'd still be firing a webhook and firing a deploy. But I, I, I think the the pages that you choose to include in the in the build, you know, the actual build step, They're like might be different. These. Yeah, it might yeah. it might be just just some of them, but not all of them, because the rest will get scooped up you know when they're first they're first asked for mm. um there's no there's nothing to stop you as well kind of pulling in all of the content all of the data and that then lives as part of the build and you can still reference that at at the point that the the dpr the the function uh, could just you know, go a lot faster then yeah exactly so, yeah. let's yeah. do a hard one though hmm. part of the reason it makes me bullish on this is because people are making fun of it a little bit i'm sure you've seen the tweets that are like so you invented servers you know good job that that type of thing you know yes <laughs> and if it keeps going if it keeps getting more complicated you're like okay we're gonna push the cache forward and we're gonna have you know what what's the term where you only rebuild the pages you need you know the uh incremental build yeah there you go so you, like you start inventing more and more complicated things that people need to adopt and then does is there some like trend line that gets you all the way to WordPress. <laughs> you know, you're just like, you know what, actually that got so complicated <laughs> that we're just gonna run servers again. Sorry about the gem stack thing. Well and, and that that really is one of the things that we're trying to be mindful of because I think that we're we're seeing some parts of the community are already saying that. They're saying, you know, hey, we tried this this jam stack thing and it didn't do enough. And and so we're we're going back to servers and, and we're seeing the trend move that way. There's there's frameworks coming out that are full stack. You got to deploy a server to get it. Um, and, you know, but we're also seeing a lot of the things that we were trying to get away from in the Jamstack coming back in. Like now you have to think about cache control headers. You're you're thinking about how do I get this node server deployed? Or if you're not thinking about how you get that node server deployed, you're you're paying a platform to think about how to get that node server deployed. Um, and so there's, there is a, a certain amount of like 
what we're trying to do and the reason we're being so thoughtful about not adding things like we're intentionally dragging our feet on adding like finer grain cash control. Uh, and we, we don't want to do that unless we don't have a choice because it, it, it does get us closer to all the complexity we were trying to get away from with servers. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing that like, one of the things that I've been, a, a drum I've been banging is that, you know, complexity is a code smell. If you find yourself adding complexity into a project, you're at risk of doing something that's going to make it unmaintainable going forward. And so is there a way to make what you're doing simpler? And a lot of times there are, you know, if you, if you are trying to build a site and there are just too many pages, can you break it up by sub routes and just build the sub routes that you need to build and use like a reverse proxy to stick them in? And, and that's a really like simplified model with, with, you know, that reverse proxy is the, the piece of complexity that comes in, but it's easier for me to manage a redirects file than it is to manage a, right. a server. It seems like there's um, a little complexity here, but it's not a huge turning of the dial of, of complexity, which is kind of good because there might just, you know, you might hit a point at some point here where it's like we, there is kind of a sweet spot for Jamstack approach period and we've nailed it and we can iterate on making things simpler when we can, but we're going to stop making things more complicated because we've kind of hit some kind of wall of complexity where it stops making sense to make things more complicated. I mean, I don't know if that's the case here or not. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kind of guessing, but that's tricky because sometimes it's at odds with growth. You know, like if you're a company that has, has nailed a particular approach and the goal is growth, the goal might be like, well, we have to do complication because we have to grow and we have to solve more use cases and stuff. Yeah. And I mean, the, the primary goal of this whole thing, right, is, is we want to make developers feel like they can do the things they need to do. And so if, if a developer is looking at the Jamstack and, and the feedback we're repeatedly getting is we can't do X with the Jamstack, then the Jamstack needs to evolve. Or if it can't evolve without becoming something completely different, then we need to rethink that approach. Thus far, when we've hit those repeated pieces of feedback, we've, we've felt that we've been able to keep the mental model of the Jamstack, this idea of decoupled front ends, pre-compiling assets, shipping to a CDN. Uh, using serverless for for the the little bit of middle tier work that you need to do so that you don't have to ship a full server that that mental model has been able to stay intact and and you know dpr is our intention to fit this idea of like dynamically like server rendered content we move it into a serverless function and we add a way to keep it in the cache so that it still fits that mental model we're compiling we're keeping it decoupled we're keeping it in the cache um that, you know, that is trying to evolve the category to, to enable people to do all the things that they want to do within the Jamstack architecture. Uh, but you, I mean, you're right that it is a push and pull because if we just did everything, then, you know, you're right. Yeah. Congrats. You've invented PHP and you're, we, we've now, yeah, I just don't know like, what's and, that point where you, th- there is a point where you just say, no, actually like we're not trying to make this an architecture that is absolutely every use case under the sun, you know? And, and if, if, cause it might be too early to make that call, you know, it's worth remembering as well that parts of Jamstack or Jamstack sites live outside of this model of pre-generating the, the front end, deploying to a CDN. There's also the APIs, right? So it's, it's completely valid for some things you build that power the web to live in, 
complex things that are dynamic. I mean, that that's we we certainly do that at Netlify. I mean, yes, we have a, a whole front end, which is the the marketing site and the Netlify app, the kind of admin site, which is a React app that we serve from our own CDA, and it's a Jamstack site. But that's talking to APIs that live in all you know, have all kinds of complexity in the back end because those are doing a different job of work. And there's there's a real, there's an important, you know, job to be done there. And there's, you know, use whatever technologies you like for that. But it's that decoupling, which is important so that the front end team can build out a web experience that's exactly what you like with exactly those workflows. But that doesn't mean that there's never going to be a place for, you know, all of these other languages, all of these other infrastructures, because that's what powers these APIs in the first place. So we, we, I don't think we're arguing that that would always go away and you're just going to only ever be serving flat files from a CDN. It's just that decoupling, which is, which is key. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun. Porkbun is offering Shop Talk Show listeners a free .design domain named Showcase Your Designs. As designers, you're automatically drawn to things that are creative and unique. And every designer's online portfolio is completely different from each other. So why should the URLs all end in the same .com? Porkbun is offering an answer to that question with a .design domain name, 100% free of charge for your first year. Your free .design domain name will also come with free Whois privacy, free SSL certificates, a free hosting trial, and a free email trial. You can also set up a website with free WordPress or static hosting. Companies like Slack and Adobe have already used this URL strategy. You can get your free domain by clicking the link in the episode description or by using coupon code SHOPTALK21 at checkout when you visit porkbun.com to register your domain name. Our thanks to Porkbun for sponsoring this episode of Shop Talk Show. I'm curious about the this this the word enterprise and how it how it kind of factors into to all this. Is enterprise generally means scale, or does it? Are you thinking of it in a different way? Like why? Like why would is there enterprise pushback on Jamstack? Yeah, like so. I we have a lot of clients, but you know, a lot of them are like, oh, we want to go Jamstack, but you know, and, and <laughs> there's usually I don't know. Pick your reason there. What are you seeing? Are are you seeing bigger adopters in this, like going kind of a Jamstack route? Are you seeing, uh, and then I would be curious about the struggles you're seeing, like as people kind of are trying to adapt these big, historically like whatever behemoth Java sites, <laughs> like to a Jamstack life. What what is that like, or what's what are you seeing? We are seeing adoption from from bigger customers. Um, you know, a, a a recent example is uh, like the Twilio console. Now is uh, they have a beta experience up, and if you if you look under the hood, you can see that served by Netlify. So they've they've moved their their whole like dev app is a is now a Jamstack app, um, and that's built on that that concept that Phil was talking about. All the APIs are those are servers that are off doing their thing, but the front end has now been decoupled. So that they can, really? you know, have so it a generates like one page. <laughs> yeah, it kind, I mean, it kind of yeah. does, but it's doing a lot of the the um, it, it gives them the ability on the front end to iterate very, very quickly without having to worry about breaking back end services because of that, that layer of insulation between the the front end and everything else that it's it's talking to. You've got these clear API boundaries. You can check whether or not those broke. Yeah, there's no like leaky abstractions between the front and back end. 
they don't need to do like an entire security audit because they changed some CSS exactly right? exactly okay. and so their deploy times you know they can now deploy to production multiple times a day instead of once every three weeks because the the risk mm. has been so vastly decreased for deploying the front end well it solves some people problems mm. in that right away think of all the people you can fire jeez that's great <laughs> well the, the, oh, the thing that's great about it right is that you know we what we've been seeing with bigger companies that adopt this the initial resistance is that that's not the way we do things or that's going to introduce these these problems or you know like a certain team doesn't like it but when they start to embrace it what we're seeing is like the devops team who you'd think you know your your joke about like who we wouldn't need anymore Really what it means is the DevOps team isn't burning all their time on release management. Now they can work on things that actually move the business forward instead of just shepherding these releases along day after day and, and making sure that like all these fragile pieces of the, the deploy don't break because the systems don't quite match up together. Um, you can get to like true CICD and then your front end becomes a thing that isn't a burden on DevOps so they can focus on more critical systems and, and keeping things like much healthier. Um, and we see the backend teams as well. Backend teams aren't getting pulled into that middle tier work of like, well, we need to make a call to this API, but we need an API key that we can't put in public. And so we need a node server for that, which means the front end team can't do it. And so we get rid of that. That middle tier work can actually go to the front end team. They have the ability to deploy it and manage it and they keep it secure. So the backend team can actually work on their area of ownership instead of getting pulled into these things. So it gives teams more autonomy. It gives teams more uh, firmer boundaries and a clearer sense of ownership over things and ultimately leads to more productive organizations um, because the biggest slowdown in an organization is bureaucracy and a lot of bureaucracy comes from ambiguity. So if all of your systems have blurry lines, that is a, that's a breeding area for ambiguity. You're going to have a hard time figuring out exactly who owns something when it falls across three areas of ownership. So when those boundaries are firm, then you know, okay, you own this, I own this, they own that. We can all work and we all know what we're supposed to be doing and we're not stepping on each other's toes. So that, that productivity boost is very real. And, and you're seeing, you know, if you look at like Loblaws, which is the largest retailer in Canada, um, they switched to the Jamstack approach and they shipped like, Phil, you might know the actual numbers, but it was, it was like 10 times as many things in a something, yeah, it was some in, big number. Yeah. yeah. Like they over the over the previous year, they'd shipped like three or four things and then they they switched to the Jamstack. And over the next couple of quarters, they'd they'd shipped like over a dozen. And it, it's because of this this kind of like clarity that comes from making things smaller. You're eliminating that complexity that that causes it to be hard to reason about the whole system and giving yourself a firm boundary to work within. And now you're, you know, it feels like you're coloring by numbers instead of having to kind of invent the universe every time you want to do a release. Going back to your, your part of your question before about what's the, the biggest pushback. The pushback I've seen has been quite different since joining Netlify from before. So I used to work at an agency. So at, at that point, I was dealing with clients where I was trying to persuade them that this is an approach that would be would be viable for them. And they were kind of big old brands. And, and usually the biggest pushback I'd get there is their sunk costs. They invested a gajillion dollars in some massive enterprise platform that they're going to use on everything. And they've invested a lot of effort. And so you have, it had to work. And that, that was usually the biggest pushback. So, you know, we can't, we can't not use the thing that we spent all this money on, even when quite often it wasn't doing what they needed. 
It's like, well, we'll just we'll put more money into it until it does what we needed. And that, that was often the biggest pushback. The experience I see now is a bit different because now, you know, since I'm I'm working at Netlify, by the time I talk to a, a customer in those terms, usually they've made the decision that they want to explore it already. So they're already over that hump. Um, so then the the biggest challenge I've seen most often is how do we service a site that's got a million pages? And that that brings us to the kind of challenges we've been talking about earlier on, and and the kind of solutions that we're looking at. But um, but yeah, it's, it's amazing to me how the tides have turned at large kind of brands and enterprises over the last few years. Um, I, I know that, for example, at, at Nike, I used to do a lot of work with Nike, and it was really difficult to get them to to build in a certain way. And I know that they've gone through a big big project of. Uh, doing more with headless now so i know they've got a headless architecture that they they now can put other things on top of and so i i I think the tide is turning gradually for more and more enterprises for just thinking about slightly different architectural models and that opens up the door for for more things but yeah my perspective was very different before and 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 after being in those two positions Mm -hmm. yeah i mean what we're really kind of learning and and what we're seeing is the conversation we're having isn't about like you know where do you put your JavaScript? It's it's more starting to think about the the architecture that you choose at a company has a very direct impact on your team culture and productivity. And if you, you know, I've worked on teams where it felt like anything that I did had to go through eight layers of approval and it would maybe go live in, in three weeks. We deployed once a week on Thursday. You know, it, those types of processes are just so draining and they, and it caused me to recoil a little bit from deployment. So I would, I would save all of my changes into one big PR so that I only had to go through it once in a while. And working at a company like Netlify, where it's the opposite, when you merge that PR, it goes to production within a few minutes. I found myself feeling exactly the opposite. I'm incentivized to do the smallest possible PR because it's easy to get reviewed. It's easy to get merged. And then I see this incremental progress and the whole team culture is built around that. And, and we're watching that as different teams adopt these different cult- these different architectures, their cultures are following suit. So it, it is very much a, um, an architectural decision, but it's also like a culture and productivity decision. And, you know, Jamstack's not the only way that you can get that, that outcome. But what we are seeing is that it does consistently contribute to that kind of outcome. That's, I think that's the piece that no one understands is how cool deploy previews are is <laughs> because it's like, I'm going to put this code up and in like one minute, you'll be able to see it and like click around it and make sure nothing's broke. Mm -hmm, And like mm -hmm. everyone has that assurance. We're not, you know, nothing's on fire. And again, it's like 1% different than what I wrote, you know? So, uh, I, that's really hard to like stress to people is like, no, no, this is going to be so good because you can just see it. I'm in a project right now, a next project and, and I don't have deployed previews and it's like, Ah oh, man, can you spin up an AWS to do the, the show the 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 storybook or whatever you know, rather than yeah. Anyway, yeah. Just, you know what I think about these? I think there's stuff to talk about with the play freeze we can get into, but how it's like it's anti CD. Everybody says CICD. It just comes out of your mouth. CICD. CICD. CD means that you the test run and then it just deploys. Like nobody works like that. I don't know. It's 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 funny. And this is a post by this Anton Weiss guy at the end of last year that's like, let's stop fooling ourselves. What we call CICD is only CI, which I thought was a funny post. And then it turned out to be a sales pitch or whatever. But anyway, it was a... <laughs> Buy my product. Yeah. 
<laughs> I feel like they're kind of right in the fact that you have a really nice pull request with a pull with a with a deploy preview in it says slow down look at the freaking thing click around see what it's like then press the button to push it when you're ready mm-hmm. when the customer has approved it like cd is kind of neat but like do people really do cd should we keep saying that word so much anyway well, but I mean, that is kind of what the Jamstack is, right? Is like it, it really is CD. When you click that PR button, when you merge that PR, the tests run and it goes live. And I, so I do think there's huge value in that and, and in, in putting that into your culture because it, you know, you're, you're giving your teams autonomy. You're giving them that trust to say like, look, you don't have to go through eight gatekeepers to get this thing live. We trust that if you review this PR, our tests are good enough and our systems are resilient enough that you can just let this thing yeah. rip. That's another way to think about it. And that's totally fair. I just mean that like that type of CD where you don't even review the PR because oh, your test passed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I don't, I don't think anybody for back-end does that. Work. Maybe for back-end work. But, yeah, like you, it's uh, like a trust <laughs> that your tests are so good that you're not sitting around reviewing PRs so much. Maybe for code review, but for the most part, stuff just goes, 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 goes live. You know? But it's way better than like, hey, Gary, can you please like FTP this up? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's way better than that system. That part so. is kind of CD. So fair enough. I don't know. It's not like a fully formed thought I had or anything. But anyway, this is this is airing shortly after a Netlify announcement, a round deploy preview. So let's uh, mm-hmm. let's take a moment to do that if we could. Yeah. They're better. They're better now. Is that, do I have that right? <laughs> that was it. Yeah, that was the announcement. If you missed it, they're better now. Enjoy. <laughs> One sentence press release. Did we, yeah, maybe we overrigged it with a whole announcement and a whole yeah. event for that. <laughs> yeah, the live event announcement was maybe okay. <laughs> Tell us, tell us. Go on, Jason. Okay, all right, I'll do it. Uh, so we <laughs> just released something that we're super excited about. We, uh, we acquired a company called Feature Peak and built in commenting into deploy previews. So you're now able, in addition to like seeing the code in the PR uh, in a, a linkable URL, we also added this, uh, this little gem in the, in the corner that you can open up and it, it creates a drawer where you can leave comments, upload screenshots, do light annotations, screen recordings, things like that. And any of those comments that you create will sync back to the GitHub pull requests. Um, and we've got integrations with other services as well. But the idea is that we want to bring in that really collaborative experience without the onus being on everybody to deal with GitHub. Not everybody's GitHub native. And what I've noticed is that when I've worked at companies that aren't GitHub native, feedback is the developers give feedback in GitHub, the marketing team gives feedback in a Word doc with screenshots, and the product team gives feedback in, you know, Jira or Asana or whatever their product management tool is. And as a developer, you have to remember to check all those places and then go to Slack to get all the other feedback that came in and then assemble that into a place where you can actually triage and manage it. So what we're trying to do with deploy previews and this commenting feature is make it so that everybody can comment in a way that feels native to them. And it gets triaged to the right place. It shows up in the pull request so that the developers see all of that feedback. Um, so we're yeah. really excited so about the, this. The canonical home base for the feedback is still GitHub. You just don't have to use GitHub. Exactly. So, so you can use GitHub or you can use what a little widget thing in the corner of a pull request. 
Yeah, it's it's like a little drawer, kind of a, a sidebar yeah. that'll pull out. And in that you can do, um, and, and like I said, it, it integrates with other services as well. But the nice thing about it is that now, um, like currently when you have a deployed preview, we're going to show you the homepage, but these, you know, this, this new system will let you link to the page that changed. So when you're sharing a link, it's going to take you right to the page that actually oh, needs feedback. And then the, nice. the comments will be there so you can see what people have talked about. You can resolve things as they get, uh, as they get addressed and you kind of give yourself a little checklist and a, a home base to discuss in context. Like this is the thing we're working on. Let's discuss it here instead of moving out to all these other services. But we don't want to lose, like you also need to track stuff that you're talking about where you work. So, you know, you want to discuss it on the deploy preview, but track it in GitHub or uh, what's, uh, I'm blanking on the other one that we've integrated with already. (laughs) I think it's Clubhouse or Product Board, one of of those, Clubhouse? Clubhouse, I think. Yeah, Yeah. the the product management tool, Clubhouse. So we've got the ability to sync these comments between multiple systems with more coming. Um, Like we're working on additional integrations as well. So that everybody gets to work where they want to work and the, the comments kind of sync there, but you have this centralized location so everybody can talk in the same place. I don't know, man. My system of 10,000 post-it notes from uh, <laughs> all across the internet is working pretty good. I don't, I don't know if this one has legs. So. <laughs> I'd be curious I knew we wouldn't get the Rupert seal of approval. I knew it. Yeah, just, yeah, don't, don't try to fix what's not broken you know what i'm saying so i say why use post-it notes when you can just keep it up here you know yeah right. good yeah, yeah the old big the brain old strategy <laughs> uh this is a you know of all the stacks i work on the only stack that i have deploy previews on are is jamstack stuff it's possible ish on other platforms but you just don't see it as much and it's behind the times and it bugs me you know like i'd like to see that evolve to other things eventually but i think it's just harder to pull off it's more expensive you know like Mm. for my wordpress site what are you going to do spin up a whole staging server for this one pr and then let me see this one sentence change i made or whatever that just seems like a lot to ask or it's just not it's a little different than like point some crap out a different S3 bucket or whatever. But not mm-hmm. that not that there's not <laughs> severe technological challenges in how deploy previews work, but I, I feel like it's probably slightly easier than having to duplicate a database, for example. Yeah, there are fewer moving parts, right? That's that comes back to the thing yeah. right at the beginning and the and the, the kind of message in Matt's talk that you referenced right at the beginning, Chris, is like there are few moving parts, it's easier to reason about. You don't have to orchestrate as much. And that's kind of the model we're trying to trying to keep around and trying to trying to grow so yeah that's yeah. that's one of the reasons that that enables this um but uh, but yeah big keeping it all in the big brain is is the other other option for sure <laughs> and yeah so doubling down on you know because deploy previews are already a killer feature why not double down on it that's my point you know which you yeah have here, so that, and that's really like what what we're trying to think about you know you you talked about like how do companies grow we don't want to grow by making development more complex. We want to grow by making the rest of the stack simpler. And so we're trying to think, how can we bring this, the, the benefits of the developer experience of this Jamstack architecture? And, you know, you, you have all these pieces that got removed so that you as a developer have less to think about. Can we create similar experiences for people in other parts of the organization? Um, you know, how, what can your experience be like as a, a content creator or as, as a member of the marketing team? Can we make it less painful and, and create fewer leaps and fewer things to track 
so that your experience of working on a front end is is just as pleasant as the the front end developers who are building it. I think the trick to making more money is just to stop paying our open source maintainers so much. Oh, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, good call. Yeah. I I like to audit them all on yeah. Twitter regularly. That just I I perform you know performance reviews. The second your your GitHub chart gets light green, you're fired. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only metric that matters, I'd say. I mean, what we like to do at Netlify is we just we like to just um, just mention them on Twitter because it gives them exposure. Exposure. Which is oh, more, God. Yeah. Mm, mm, seems mm. fair. So, mm. And that's also I, how I like to be rewarded for giving a talk. Exposure. We send them socks, though. That's so good. Oh, socks, good. Yeah. I go through the drive-thru at McDonald's and I just I say, do you accept exposure? They say, <laughs> they say yes. I, don't I, I have I, twenty thousand Twitter followers. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter followers is a Big Mac. <laughs> I'm going to have nightmares of Chris going to a drive-through and say, "Do you accept exposure?" They're just, it's, I'm really, that's really going to going to haunt me. It's only ten o'clock here, but by eleven, that'll be reality. <laughs> That's good. I think we covered all the notes here, so no need to, oh, yeah. no, to stretch it out, boys. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate you coming on, Dave. What do you have to say? Yeah, uh, thank y'all. Um, I, I did. Tell I me. was like, I have some zingers, but maybe they're private zingers about like serverless and and like response times. But we can talk about that another time. We'll have you back on. But um, I guess for people who aren't following y'all and giving you money, how can they do that? We'll start with Jason. Uh, you can find me on Twitter where I spend more time than I should uh, at Jay Langstorff. Uh, it's J L E N G S T O R F, the worst last name of all time. Um, or on my website, jason.af. And you also have an excellent uh, Twitch channel. Oh, I should so, talk about. Uh, yeah, I run a show called Learn with Jason where I pair program with people. We learn something. It uh, runs on Tuesdays and Thursdays. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. Come hang out with me. It's quality content. And uh, Philbert. <laughs> so first of all, I'm rushing off to Twitter to to register the handle Philbert. Um, <laughs> I need that now. Um, I I mean, you can find me usually uh, fanboying over Jason in the comments in his Twitch stream uh, because that is genuinely a good place to be. Uh, but uh, I don't have the courage to do that myself. But you can find me uh, on Twitter as well. Um, Phil Hawksworth is my name, and Phil Hawksworth is my handle. Uh, it's just this. It just it keeps it simple for me. I remember it that way. Um, but uh, coming to at Philbert soon. Good, good. All right. Well, cool. Uh, well, thank you all again so much for coming on, uh, answering our questions about, you know, the state of the GM stack kind of. So appreciate that. And uh, thank you, dear listener, for downloading this and your podcast, your choice. Be sure to start our favorite. Oh, that's up. you find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show. Tens of tweets a month. And sign up for the Discord. That's patreon.com slash shop talk show. And uh, it's a fun time. You should join. Okay. Thank you. All right, Chris, you got anything else you'd like to no. say? No. <laughs> Shoptalkshow.com. <laughs>